0: Chapter Eight of In the Reign of Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In the Reign of Terror by George Alfred Henty, Chapter Eight, Marie Arrested. On leaving Victor in the care of the man who had so providentially come to his aid, Harry hurried down the street toward the Abbe. Then he stopped to think—should he return there, or make his way to the Besseche? He could not tell whether his friends had, like the Duc de Guisson, been removed to the Abbe. If they had been so, it was clearly impossible for him to aid them in any way. They might already have fallen. The crowd was too great for him to regain the gallery, and even there he could only witness, without power to avert, their murder. Were they still at the Besseche, he might do something. Perhaps the Assassins had not yet arrived there. It was now nine o'clock in the evening. The streets were almost deserted. The respectable inhabitants all remained within their houses, trembling at the horrors of which reports had circulated during the afternoon. At first there had been hopes that the Assembly would take steps to put a stop to the massacre, but the Assembly did nothing. Danton and the ministers were absent. The cannon's roar and the tocsin sounded perpetually. There was no secret as to what was going on. The Commune had the insolence to send commissioners to the bar of the assembly, to state that the people wished to break open the doors of the prison, and this when two hundred priests had already been butchered at the Carmelites. A deputation indeed went to the Abbe to try to persuade the murderers to desist, but their voices were drowned in the tumultuous cries. The Commune of Paris openly directed the massacre. Bilal Varennes went backwards and forwards to superintend the execution of his orders, and promised the executioners twenty-four francs a day. The receipt for the payment of this blood-money still exists. On arriving in front of the Bisset, Harry found that all was silent there, and with a faint feeling of hope that the massacre would not extend beyond the Abbey, he again turned his steps in that direction. The bloody work was still going on, and Harry wandered away in the quiet streets, to avoid hearing the shrieks of the victims and the yells of the crowd. A sudden thought struck him, and he went along until he saw a woman come out of a house. He ran up to her. "'Madame,' he said, "'I have the most urgent need of a bonnet and shawl. Will you sell me those you have on? The shops are all shut, or I would not trouble you. You have only to name your price, and I will pay you.' The woman was surprised at this proposition. But seeing that a good bargain was to be made, she asked twice the cost of the articles when new, and this Harry paid her without question. Wrapping the shawl and bonnet into a bundle, he retraced his steps, and sat down on some doorsteps within distance of the abbe, which would enable him to observe any general movement of the crowd in front of the prison. At one o'clock in the morning there was a stir, and the body of men with pikes moved down the street. "'They are going to La Force,' he said, after following them for some distance." Oh, if I had but two or three hundred English soldiers here, we would make mincemeat of these murderers." Harry did not enter La Force, where the scenes that were taking place at the Abbaye (for, in spite of the speed with which the mock trials were hurried through, these massacres were not yet finished there, so great was the number of prisoners) were repeated. At La Force many ladies were imprisoned, among them the Princess de Lamballe. They shared the fate of the male prisoners, being hewn to pieces by sabres. The head of the princess was cut off and stuck on a pike and was carried in triumph under the windows of the temple, where the king and queen were confined, and was held up to the bars of the room they occupied for them to see. Marie Antoinette, fearless for herself, fainted at the terrible sight of the pale head of her friend. Harry remained at a little distance from La Force, tramping restlessly up and down, half mad with rage and horror, and at his powerlessness to interfere in any way with the proceedings of the wretches who were carrying on the work of murder. At last, about eight o'clock in the morning, a boy ran by. "'They have finished with them at the Abbey,' he said with fiendish glee. "'They are going from there to the Bicêtre." "'Harry with difficulty repressed his desire to slay the urchin, "'and hurried away to reach the prison of Bicêtre before the band from the Abbey arrived there. "'Unfortunately, he came down by a side street upon them, "'when they were within a few hundred yards of the prison. "'His great hope was that he might succeed in penetrating with the Marseilles "'and find the Marquise.' and aid her in making her way through the mob in the disguise he had purchased. But here, as at the other prisons, there was a method in the work of murder. The agents of the commune took possession of the hall at the entrance, and permitted none to pass further into the prison, the warders and officials bringing down the prisoners in batches, and so handing them over for slaughter. In vain Harry tried to penetrate into the inner part of the prison. He was roughly repulsed by the men guarding the door, and at last, finding that nothing could be done, he forced his way out again into the open air, and, hurrying away for some distance, threw himself on the ground and burst into a passion of tears. After a time he rose, and made his way back to the house where he had left Victor de Gesson. He found him in a state of delirium, acting over and over again the scene in the Abbe, cursing the judge and the executioners, and crying out that he would die with his father. "'What does the doctor think of him?' he asked the woman who was sitting by Victor's bed. He did not say much the woman replied. He shook his head, and said there had been a terrible mental shock, and that he could not answer either for his life or reason. There was nothing to do but to be patient, to keep his head bandaged with wet cloths, and to give him water from time to time. Do not be afraid, sir. We will watch over him carefully. "'I would stay here if I could,' Harry said. "'But I have others I must see about. I have the terrible news to break to some young ladies of the murder of their father and mother.' "'Poor things, poor things!' the woman said, shaking her head. It is terrible. My husband was telling me what he saw, and a neighbor came in just now, and said it was the same thing at all the other prisons. The priest, too, our priest at the little church at the corner of the street, where I used to go in every morning to pray on my way to market. He was dragged away ten days ago to the Carmelites, and now he's a saint in heaven. How is it, sir, that God allows such things to be?" We cannot tell, Harry said sadly. As for myself, I can hardly believe it, though I saw it. They say there are over four thousand people in the prisons, and they will all be murdered. Such a thing was never heard of. I can hardly believe that I am not in a dream now. "'You look almost like one dead yourself,' the woman said pityingly. "'I have made a bouillon for Jacques's breakfast and mine. It is just ready. Do take a mouthful before you go out. That and a piece of bread and a cup of red wine will do you good.' Harry was on the point of refusing but felt that he was utterly worn and exhausted, and that he must keep up his strength. Her husband, therefore, took her place by Victor's bedside, in readiness to hold him down should he try to get up in his ravings, while the good woman ladled out a basin of the broth, and placed it with a piece of bread and some wine on the table. Harry forced himself to drink it, and when he rose from the table he already felt the benefit of the meal. "'Thank you very much,' he said. "'I feel stronger now, but how I am to tell the story I do not know.' but I must make quite certain before I go to these poor girls that their parents were killed. Three or four were spared at the Abbey. Possibly it may have been the same thing at the Bessetre. So Harry went back, and waited outside the prison until the bloody work was over, but found on questioning those who came out when all was done that the thirst for blood had increased with killing, and that all the prisoners found in the Bessetre had been put to death. Ma foi! the man whom he was speaking to said. But these accursed aristocrats have courage! Men and women alike, there was not one of them but faced the judges bravely, and went to their death as calmly as if to dinner. There was a Marquis and his wife—the Marquis de saint Col, they called him. They brought them out together. They were asked whether they had anything to say, why they should not be punished for their crimes against France. The Marquis laughed aloud. "'Crimes,' he said. "'Do you think a Marquis de saint Call is going to plead for his life to a band of murderers and assassins? "'Come, my love.' He gave her just one kiss, and then took her hand as if they were going to walk a minuet together, and then led her down between the lines of guards with his head erect and a smile of scorn on his face. She did not smile, but her step never faltered. I watched her closely. She was very pale, and she did not look proud. But she walked as calmly and steadily as her husband, till they reached the door where the pikemen were awaiting them, and then it was over in a minute, and they died without a cry or a groan. "'They are wretches, the aristocrats. They have fattened on the life blood of the people, but they know how to die, these people." Without a word Harry turned away. He had told himself there was no hope, but he knew by the bitter pain he felt now that he had hoped to the last. Then he walked slowly away to tell the news. There were comparatively few people about in the streets, and these all of the lower order. Every shop was closed. Men with scared faces stood at some of the windows to gather the news from passers-by, and pale women looked timidly from the upper windows. When he reached the house, he could not summon courage to enter it, but stood for a long time outside, until at last he saw Louise Moulin put her head out through the window. He succeeded in catching her eye, and placing his finger on his lips, signed her to come down. A minute later she appeared at the door. "'Is it all true, Monsieur Sanwith? They say they are murdering the prisoners. Surely it must be false. They could never do such a thing.' It is true, Louise. I have seen it myself. I went with a disguise to try and rescue our dear lady, even if I could not save the Marquis. But I could not get to her. The wretches have murdered them both. Oh, my dear lady! the old woman cried, bursting into tears. The pretty babe I nursed! To think of her murdered! And the poor young things upstairs! What shall I do? What shall I do, Monsieur saint You must break it to them, Louise. Do they know how great the danger is? No, I have kept it from them. They can see from the window that something unusual is going on. Everyone can see that. But I told them it was only the Prussians that were advancing. They are anxious, very anxious, but they are quite unprepared for this. Break it gradually, Louise. Tell them first that there are rumors that the prisons have been attacked. Come down again presently, as if to get more news. And then tell them that there are reports that the prisoners have been massacred. And then, at last, tell them all the truth. "'But will you not come up, Monsieur Stonwith? "'They trust you so much. "'Your presence will be a support to them.' "'I could do nothing now,' Harry said sadly. "'God only can console them. "'They had best be by themselves for a while. "'I will come in the evening. "'The first burst of grief will be over then, "'and my talk may aid them to rouse themselves. "'Oh, if we had but tried to get them out of prison sooner! "'And yet who could have foreseen that here in Paris thousands of innocent prisoners, men and women, "'would be murdered in cold blood?' Finding that she could not persuade Harry to enter, Louise turned to perform her painful duty, while Harry, thoroughly exhausted with the night of horrors, made his way home, and, throwing himself on the bed, fell asleep, and did not wake until evening. His first step was to plunge his head into water, and then, after a good wash, to prepare a meal. His sleep had restored his energy, and with brisk steps he made his way through the streets to Louise Milan. He knocked with his knuckles at the outer door of her apartments. The old nurse opened it quietly come in she said and sit down they are in their room and i think they have cried themselves to sleep my heart has been breaking all day to see them it has been dreadful poor little virginie cried terribly and sobbed for hours it was, a, but it was a long time before the others cried marie fainted and when i got her round lay quite still and quiet without speaking jeanne was the worst of all she sat on that chair with her eyes staring open and her face as white as if she were dead she did not seem to hear anything i said but at last when virginie's sobs were stopping i began to talk to her about her mother and her pretty ways when she was a child and then at last jean broke down and she cried so wildly that i was frightened and then marie cried too and after a while i persuaded them all to lie down and as i have not heard a sound for the last hour i hope the good god has sent them all to sleep i trust so indeed louise i will stay here quietly for an hour And then, if we hear nothing, I will go home, and be back again in the morning. Sleep will do more for them than anything I can say. At the end of an hour all was quiet, and Harry, with a somewhat lightened heart, took his departure. At nine o'clock next morning he was again at the house. When he entered, Virginie ran to him, and throwing her arms around his neck, burst again into a passion of tears. Harry felt that this was the best thing that could have happened, for the others were occupied for some time in trying to soothe her crying quietly to themselves while they did so. At last her sobs became less violent. "'And now, Harry,' Marie said, turning to him, "'will you tell us all about it?' "'I will tell you only that your dear father and mother died, as you might be sure they would, calmly and fearlessly, and that they suffered but little. More than that I cannot tell you now. Some day farther on, when you can bear it, I will tell you of the events of the last forty-eight hours.' At present I myself dare not think of it, and it would harm you to know it. Do not, I pray you, ask me any questions now. We must think of the future. Fortunately you passed unsuspected the last time they searched the house, but it may not be so another time. You may be sure that these human tigers will not be satisfied with the blood they have shed, but that they will long for fresh victims. The prisons are empty now, but they will soon be filled again. We must therefore turn our thoughts to making your escape from the city.' I fear there is peril everywhere, but it must be faced. I think it will be useless for us to try and reach the frontier by land. At every town and village they will be on the lookout for fugitives, and whatever disguise you might adopt you could not escape observation. I think, then, that we must make for the sea, and hire a fishing-boat to take us across to England. But we must not hurry. In the first place we must settle all our plans carefully and prepare our disguises, in the next place. There will be such a tremendous excitement when the news of what has happened here is known that it would be unsafe to travel. I think myself it will be best to wait a little until there is a lull. That is what I want you to think over and to decide. I do not think there is any very great danger here for the next few days. For a little time they will be tired of slaying, and, from what I hear, the Girondists are marked out as the next victims. They say Danton has denounced them at the Jacobin Club. At any rate, it will be better to get everything in readiness for flight so that we can leave at once if we hear of any fresh measures for a search after suspects. Harry was pleased to find that his suggestion answered the purpose for which he had made it. The girls began to discuss the disguises which would be required, and the best route to be taken, and their thoughts were, for a time, turned from the loss they had sustained. After an hour's talk he left them, greatly benefited by his visit. For the next few days Harry spent his time for the most part by the bedside of Victor Casson, The fever was still at its height, and the doctor gave but small hopes of his recovery. Harry determined that he would not leave Paris until the issue was decided one way or the other, and when with the girls he discouraged any idea of an immediate flight. This was the more easy, for the news from the provinces showed that the situation was everywhere as bad as it was at the capital. The Commune had sent to all of the committees acting in connection with them, in the towns throughout the country. The news of the execution of the enemies of France confined in the prisons, and had urged that a similar step should at once be taken with reference to all the prisoners in their hands. The order was promptly obeyed, and throughout France massacres similar to those in Paris were at once carried out. A carnival of murder and horror had commenced, and the madness for blood raged throughout the whole country. Such being the case, Harry found it by no means difficult to dissuade the girls from taking instant steps toward making their escape. He was, however, in a state of great uneasiness. Many of the moderate deputies had been seized, others had sought safety in flight, and the search for suspected persons was carried on vigorously. Difficult and dangerous as it would be to endeavour to travel through France with three girls, he would have attempted it without hesitation rather than remain in Paris, had it not been for Victor de Gasson. One day, a week after the massacres at the prisons, he received another terrible shock. He had bought a paper from one of the men shouting them for sale in the street and sat down in the garden of the Tuileries to read it. A great portion of the space was filled with lists of the enemies of the people who had been, as it was called, executed. As these lists had formed the staple of news for several days, Harry scarcely glanced at the names, his eyes travelling rapidly down the list, until he gave a start and a low cry. Under the heading of the persons executed at Lille were the names of Ernest de Saint-Caul, Jules de Saint-Caul, Pierre du Thiers, aristocrats arrested, August 15th, in the act of endeavouring to leave France in disguise. For some time Harry sat as if stunned. He had scarce given a thought to his friends since the night they had left. The affairs of the Marquis and his wife, of their daughters, and of Victor de Gasson, had almost excluded everything else. When he thought of the boys it had been as already in England, under the charge of Dutier. He had thought that if they had been arrested on the way he should have been sure to hear of it, and he had such confidence in the sagacity of Monsieur Dutier that he looked upon it almost as a certainty that he would be able to lead his two charges through any difficulty and danger which might beset them. And now he knew that his hopes had been ill-founded, that his friends had been arrested, when almost within sight of the frontier, and had been murdered as soon as the news of the massacres in Paris had reached Lille. He felt crushed with the blow. A warm affection had sprung up between him and Ernest, while from the first the younger boy had attached himself to him. And now they were dead, and the girls were alone in the world save for himself and the poor young fellow tossing with fever. It was true that if his friends had reached England in safety, they could not have aided him in the task he had before him of getting the girls away. Still their deaths seemed somehow to add to his responsibilities. Upon one thing he determined at once, and that was that until his charges were safe in England, they should not hear a whisper of this new and terrible misfortune which had befallen them. In order to afford the girls some slight change, and anxious at their pale faces, the result of grief, and of their unwanted confinement, Louise Mallin had persuaded them to go out with her in the early mornings when she went to the markets. The fear of detection was small, for the girls had now become accustomed to their thick shoes and rough dress, and indeed she thought that it would be safer to go out, for the suspicion of her neighbours might be excited if the girls remained secluded in the house. Harry generally met them soon after they started, and accompanied them in their walk. One morning he was walking with the two younger girls, while Marie and the old nurse were together a short distance in front of them. They had just reached the flower market, which was generally the main object of their walks, for the girls, having passed most of their time in the country, were passionately fond of flowers, when a man on horseback, wearing a red sash which showed him to be an official of the Republic, came along at a footpace, His eyes fell upon Marie's face and rested there, at first with the look of recognition, followed by a start of surprise and satisfaction. He reined in his horse instantly, with the exclamation, "Mademoiselle de Saint-Caude!' For a moment she shrank back, her cheek paler even than before. Then, recovering herself, she said calmly, "'It is myself, Monsieur Lebas.' "'Citizen Lebas,' he corrected. "'You forget there are no titles now. We have changed all that. "'It goes to my heart,' he went on with a sneer, "'to be obliged to do my duty. "'But, however unpleasant it is, it must be done. "'Citizens,' he said, raising his voice, "'I want two men well disposed to the State.' As to be ill-disposed meant danger, if not death, several men within hearing at once came forward. "'This female citizen is an aristocrat in disguise,' he went on, pointing to Marie. "'In virtue of my office as Deputy of Dijon and member of the Committee of Public Safety, I arrest her and give her into your charge. Where is the person who was with her?' Seize her also on a charge of harbouring an enemy of the state. But Louise was gone. The moment Lebas had looked round in search of assistance, Marie had whispered in Louise's ear, Fly, Louise, for the sake of the children. If you are arrested, they are lost. Had she herself been alone concerned, the old woman would have stood by Marie and shared her fate. But the words, For the sake of the children, decided her, and she had instantly slipped away among the crowd, whose attention had been called by Lebas's first words, and dived into a small shop, where she at once began to bargain for some eggs. "'Where is the woman?' Lebas repeated angrily. "'What is she like?' one of the bystanders asked. But Lebas could give no description whatever of her. He had noticed that Marie was speaking to someone when he first caught sight of her face, but he had noticed nothing more, and he did not know whether the woman was young or old. "'I can't tell you,' he said in a tone of vexation. "'Never mind. We shall find her later on. This capture is the most important.' So saying, he set out, with Marie walking beside him, with a guard on either hand. In the next street he came on a party of four armed soldiers of a commune, and ordered them to take the place of those he had first charged with the duty, and directed them to proceed with him to the main. Marie was taken at once before the committee, sitting in permanence for the discovery and arrest of suspects. "'I charge this young woman with being an aristocrat in disguise. She is the daughter of the devant Marquis de saint "'who was executed on the 2nd of September at Bissef. "'Murdered, you mean, sir?' Marie said in a clear, haughty voice. "'Why not call things by their proper name?' "'I am sorry,' Lebas went on, not heeding the interruption, "'that it should fall to my lot to denounce her, "'for I acknowledge that in the days before our glorious revolution commenced "'I had visited at her father's chateau. "'But I feel that my duty to the Republic stands before any private considerations.' "'You have done perfectly right,' the President of the Committee said. "'As I understand that the accused does not deny that she is the daughter of the C. devant Marquis, "'I will at once sign the order for her committal to La Force. "'There is room there still, though the prisons are filling up fast.' "'We must have another jail delivery,' one of the Committee laughed brutally, "'and a murmur of assent passed through the chamber. "'The order was made out, and Marie was handed over to the armed guard, "'to be taken with the next batch of prisoners to La Force.' Harry was some twenty yards behind Marie and her companion when Lavois checked his horse before her. He recognized the man instantly, and saw that Marie's disguise was discovered. His first impulse was to rush forward to her assistance, but the hopelessness of any attempt at interference instantly struck him, and to the surprise of the two girls, who were looking into a shop and had not noticed what was occurring, he turned suddenly with them down a side street. "'What are you doing, Harry? We shall lose the others in the crowd if we do not keep them in sight,' Jean said. "'I know what I am doing, Jean.' I will tell you presently.' He walked along several streets until he came to an unfrequented thoroughfare. "'There is something wrong, Harry. I see it in your face,' Jean exclaimed. "'Tell us at once.' "'It is bad news,' Harry said quietly. "'Try and nerve yourselves, my dear girls, for you will need all your courage. Marie is captured.' "'Oh, Harry!' Virginie exclaimed, bursting into tears, while Jeanne stood motionless and still. "'Why are you taking us away?' she said in a hard, sharp voice which Harry would not have recognized as hers. Our place is with her, and where she goes we will go. You have no right to leave us away. We will go back to her at once. "'You can do her no good, Jean, dear,' Harry said gently. "'You could not help her, and it would only add to her misery if you and Virginie were also in their hands. Besides, we can be of more use outside. Trust to me, Jeanne, I will do all in my power to save her, whatever the risk.' "'You could not save our father and mother,' Jeanne said with a quivering lip. "'No, dear. But I would have saved them had there been but a little more time to do so. This time I hope to be more successful. Courage, Jean! do not give way. I depend on your clear head to help me. Besides, till we can get her back, you have to fill Marie's place and look after Virginie." The appeal was successful, and Jeanne burst into a passion of tears. Harry did not try to check them, and in a short time the sobs ceased, and Jean raised her head again. "'I feel better now,' she said. "'Come, Virginie, and dry your eyes, darling. We shall have plenty of time to cry afterwards. Are we to go home, Harry? Have they taken Louise? I do not know, Jean. That is the first thing to find out, for if they have, it will not be safe for you to return. Let us push on now, so that if she has not been taken, we shall reach home before her. We will place ourselves at the corner of your street, and wait for an hour. She may spend some time in looking for us, but if she does not come home by the end of that time, I feel sure that it is because she cannot come, and in that case I must look out for another place for you. They hurried on until they were nearly home, the brisk walk having, as Harry had calculated it would, had an effect of preventing their thoughts from dwelling upon Marie's capture. They had not been more than a quarter of an hour at their post, when Harry gave an exclamation of satisfaction as he saw Louise Melon approaching. The two girls hurried to meet her. "'Thank God you are both safe, dears!' she exclaimed, with tears streaming down her cheeks. "'I thought of you in the middle of it all, but I was sure that Monsieur St. Louis would see what was being done and would get you away.' "'And you, Louise?' said Harry, who had come up. "'How did you get away? "'I have been terribly anxious, thinking that they might seize you too, "'and that would have been dreadful.' "'So they would have done,' the old woman said. "'But when that evil man looked away for a moment, "'Mademoiselle whispered, "'Fly, Louise, for the children's sake!' "'And I slipped away into the crowd without even stopping to think, "'and ran into a shop. "'And it was well I did, for he shouted to them to seize me too. "'But I was gone, and as I don't think he noticed me before, "'they could not find me.' "'and as soon as they had all moved away, I came out. "'I looked for you for some time, "'and then made up my mind that Monsieur St. "'had come on home with you.' "'So I did, you see,' Harry said, "'but I did not dare to go in until we knew "'whether you had been taken to. "'If you had not come after a time, "'we should have looked for another lodging, "'though I knew well enough that you would not tell them "'where you lived.' "'No, indeed,' the old woman said, "'they might have cut me in pieces "'without getting a single word from me "'as to where I lived. "'Still, they might have found out somehow.' for they would have been sure to have published the fact that I had been taken with a description of me. Then the neighbours would have said, "'This description is like Louise Molin, and she is missing.' And then they would have talked, and the end of it would have been you would have been discovered. "'Will you come home with us, Monsieur Sainte? "'I will come after it's dark, Louise. The less my visits are noticed, the better.' "'This is awful,' Harry said to himself as he turned away. Marquis and his wife massacred, Ernest and Jules murdered, Marie in prison, Victor mad with fever, Jean and Virginie with no one to trust to but me, my people at home in a frightful state of mind about me. It is awful to think of. It's enough to drive a fellow out of his senses. Well, I will go and see how Victor is going on. The doctor thought there was a change yesterday. Poor fellow. If he comes to his senses, I shall have hard work to keep the truth about Marie from him. It would send him off again worse than ever if he had an idea of it. "'And how is your patient to-day, madame?' he asked, as Victor's nurse opened the door to him. "'He is quieter, much quieter,' she replied. "'I think he is too weak to rave any longer, but otherwise he's just the same. "'He lies with his eyes open, talking sometimes to himself, but I cannot make out any sense in what he says. "'The doctor has been here this morning, and he said he thinks another two days will decide. "'If he does not take a turn then he will die. "'If he does he may live, but even then he may not get his reason again. "'Poor young fellow!' I feel for him almost as if he were my son, and so does Jacques.' "'You are both very good, madame. You are both very good, madame,' Harry said, "'and my friend is fortunate indeed to have fallen into such good hands. I will sit with him for three or four hours now, and you had better go and get a little fresh air.' "'That I will, monsieur. Jacques is asleep. He was up with him all last night, and I had a good night. He would have it so.' "'Quite right,' Harry said. "'You must not lock yourself up, madame.' You are too useful to others for us to let you do that. Tomorrow night I will take my turn. End of chapter 8